Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm your host, Jill Gleba, and we're talking to inspirational, common, and imperfect people just trying their best and trying to gain some uncommon sense. Sometimes the world gives you more challenges than anyone should go through. Lee seems to handle each one like a hurdle during a track meet and adopts a healthy attitude to find her success. This is an amazing story about finding your way despite what is thrown in front of you. So we have Lee Padgett and Ripley, the new member of the family. And the reason, Lee, you came here on the show was you wanted to, well, I wanted you to share your story. You don't have a perfect story. And that's really what this podcast is about is everyday people. And that way we can maybe encourage people that might be not having a perfect journey. I just want to take them through yours. Maybe they could learn something from you, some inspiration. So that would be nice. So welcome. Thank you. We're happy to be here. And, you know, perfect stories are boring stories. That's right. It's not any fun to, for it to all just be on a silver platter. If it's worth it, you have to work for it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Let's start out just kind of giving some background of where you grew up in your family and how you got started. Okay. I grew up in the, in the South, uh, moved to Mobile, Alabama when I was nine years old. Have a couple of older siblings. One was already, they were actually both already in college at that point. And so I grew up with- You were a late baby. I was the only one planned. (laughs) 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 Grew up down in Mobile, Alabama. It was nice and warm most of the time. Uh, On the beach, it was free and easy. Home of Mardi Gras. Was going to a private school. And then, you know, in the 80s, the financial issues that were happening were pretty devastating and people got laid off and- That happened to our family while the two older ones were in college. And so ended up going into a public school and thrived there, actually, and was in theater, loved theater and public speaking and really enjoyed the arts, but also was really good in sciences. And um, at one point, I said something to my dad about my friends moving out. And he was like, why don't you go with them? And so I did. For a bit and came back home and old were you? I was 16 at that point. Wow. It wasn't um a great thing to do and decided to get out of the situation. Found out that my roommates had guns in the house and that there were drugs involved and oh, and different things. So I was like, I think I need to come back home. And so of course there's a little sour grapes there at that point. Oh, you wanted to go back home and now you're a hot shot coming back. What do you think your dad's motive or thinking was when he said, yeah, you want to go with your friends? Go ahead. Do you think he was just burdened and one less thing to worry about or? You know, I'm sure it was a stress thing. You know, you can't overthink it too much. I just think he was like, you want to complain about living under my roof? See ya. That's all I kind of chalked it up to. So I did and came back home and then ended up getting a tiny little scholarship to a school in Birmingham, Alabama. It was a religious-based school, which was not a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed my freedom and, and enjoyed things that people in that particular um, denomination frowned upon. So I washed out of the school, not academically, but just socially pretty quickly. And you were um, in the South, right? So it's... Yeah, I was in the South. It was very Southern Baptist. Yeah. Ended up coming back home again and going to just the local school. And and then mom and dad moved. And I got a little bit crazy. 
Um, in my sophomore year, I ended up having uh, cancer that was treatable, very treatable type of cancer, but I did have to recover. So I ended up moving back in with them again. That's a big and deal. It was a big deal. Sur yeah, I survived it. It was uh, a lot of just skin level stuff, but um, pretty big recovery. Anyway, no chemo. So that was yay. And uh, went to another college there for theater and ended up really making them angry in the home. And my dad was waiting for me one morning with my suitcase packed and took me to the airport and sent me back to Mobile, Alabama, where my sister was going to take me in for a minute. And I did that. That was... Oh, jeez. That was interesting and sad and scary. And, and, you know, I had a lot to do with that. I was not following the rules. So back to another stint in college. And I finally said to myself, I'm going to show them I'm going to join the military. And he was all of a sudden very proud of me. Interesting. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I'm never actually going to go to boot camp. They're going to beg me to stay home. Nope, was on the plane going to Orlando to go to boot camp before I knew it. And you just have to pick yourself up by the bootstraps at that point and go, okay, cowgirl, here we go. This is boot and this is real. And they cut all my hair off because that's what they did in 1990. They cut your hair off. I was 21 years old. So I was rip-roaring drunk when I got to boot camp. Um, the Navy doesn't care about that point. They just, you have to sober up. But no drugs. So I, you know, I drug tested clean because that wasn't really my thing. Um, it just sounded like a very, to me, a very creative kid. And you're in the arts and, you know, science too, which is really pretty cool, both sides of the brain. But I don't know, just sounded like you were um, kind of a, a creative, wild kid. And I always had my own thing on the side. I was always cleaning houses or making art and selling it or singing in a band. I sang with some amazing people as a young person. Um, Gatemouth Brown would come through Mobile, Alabama. Wow. And I would always sing with him when he was there. I was bartending totally illegally, but was always doing something on the side, putting together music concerts to raise money for different venues. And Mobile had a great like punk rock scene. And we were into that. The nighttime for me was fun, creating sets for theater groups, trying to write scripts, doing a terrible job of that. That's so cool because I have to tell you, because I grew up in the 80s and I played in bands. I can't sing. They turned my mic off and said to pretend, but I was a drummer. So I could get away with just being in the back, having a good time. But good times, great bands. I'll bet you had a blast. Hard way to make a living, though, to go into the arts. Hard way to make a living. You know, yep. cleaning houses was pretty easy because people would just give me a key and say, come over at some point between eight and five and do your best. I did that for years, even when I ended up going back to school as an older person after the military. And in the military, I was doing computer work, computer science -y kind of stuff. Wow. Um, that was my, my job. Right. It was and it was interesting because electricity is like, they compare it to the flowing of water. If you can think about right. how water flows, you can think about how energy flows, electricity flows. So I enjoyed learning something totally crazy new, but I was also in the arts company and would sing there. And 
the captain of my base was like, oh my goodness, she's an acapella singer and would send me off to sing the national anthem wherever. And it kept me out of trouble. Yeah. Let's explore that a little bit to help others is there's a lot of people might be listening that they're little, they don't know where they're going yet. You are cleaning houses. You are doing the arts. I just want to let people know I had like five, six jobs during college and any of those jobs could have led to what I'm doing today, but it doesn't matter because you were cleaning houses. You have to show up on time, do your work. I mean, it's still a good building block to whatever you're doing later on in life, right? It was a great building block. It was better than having a schedule because if I got a commercial or something, I could do that and then, you know, tell my client, look, I'll double up tomorrow or something. I also lived in someone's house as their live-in housekeeper, and I got rent for free to clean their house once a week. That's creative. And that way you yeah. had the money to do other things, right? And nobody had control over me at that point. They did. Like, I was beholden to them, but I was polite and kind and, and still know if I see the, their family today, it's still very pleasant because we had it on great terms. But so you, that was you, before you were in the military, you were doing that was actually uh, after um, I was in the military for a couple of years, 1990 to 1992. I had enlisted for six, but I was in a bad car accident. So I'm technically a disabled vet and messed my neck up pretty bad and my back in the accident. But during that time, so I told you I'd been bartending and singing in bands and doing all kinds of things. And during the time that I was in the military, one of my friends was murdered. Oh, my goodness. And I knew things about stuff and things. I had, you know, you were around both people, the person who's dead and the person who's not dead in this. And um, there were criminal factors that I didn't have anything to do with that I went to my commander and said, hey, listen, they're going to try and subpoena me for this court. I don't mind giving a statement, but I can't leave the base. Because if I leave the base, somebody could come after me. Yeah, so you got to be careful. So they put me on restriction. So I couldn't technically leave the base. And that was like, okay, so the lawyers came in and took my statement on base. And that was all I had to do. But because I was able to go to the powers that be and say, I need some protection, then it was all good. And they got through everything. And that was decades ago. So that's all, all that's done. That's scary, though. It was frightening. I was glad to be in a safe spot. The military is, it's a lot of things to a lot of people. But to me, it was a way to learn that I could be part of a team, that I was worthwhile, that I could be great at something because I was really good at the stuff that I did there. And they gave me rules and I played within that box. And, you know, you knew what you had to wear every day. You knew the styles that your hair could be in. Okay. And as long as you played within that box, you were fine. You could find yourself in there. It's nice to have a box. Maybe you didn't have that before and you just did whatever you wanted. Sometimes when we tell our kids, you can be anything you want to be, that can be overwhelming, right? It's too much. It can be too much. I think it's too much. It really worked out well. I learned respect for myself. I already had respect for authority, but I learned respect for myself. And you worked hard. I mean, your work ethic is probably... One of the best I've seen. And you started out that way, I guess is my point. You started out working hard. And some people work hard all their life, but they're like a gerbil and they don't get anywhere. And 
people have to search what do they like best about the job they're currently doing and who's ahead of them and how do they get to the next step, whatever it may be. And you keep going to the next step until you find your place, right? And you've had a lot of that. That's what I find interesting about you is you've had a lot of experiences going around trying to figure out, you know what I mean, the theater, the band, going to the military. And you've gone from, like I say, the creative side to even, like you said, electronics and such. Science, electronics, math. I, I dig all of that stuff. I find the beauty in it. But one of the things I've always thought is don't compare yourself to your neighbor. Compare yourself to yourself and work with your neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. And and if you really put that into play in every job you do, you can learn from the person who's doing the same thing you are instead of trying to beat them down. And you worked within your box and you worked with other people. And it sounds to me like the military showed you teamwork. It did. And how to work with others. And the value of lifting up your bunkmate and your shipmate because that's just going to make the whole team better. And in the long run, people see that as a leadership quality. They do. Goldman Sachs taught me that. I had no idea that's what that was. I just thought it was normal part of life that you helped your neighbor and, you know, other people that aren't doing as well as you are or are doing better than you are. You lift them up and the whole world gets better. Being a productive citizen isn't me being a better citizen for me. Being a productive citizen for our community. Oh, I totally agree. And just how we met, well, we met through someone, but we were in a networking event together. And I always find it interesting, and this is out in left field, but there's people that just stand there and hand out their card and want to talk about themselves. And what I've taught my employees and what I do is when I go to those events and people uh, ask them what they do, and right away I'm thinking about what can I do to help them get further and introduce them to somebody that will help their business. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about them becoming a customer or how can I sell them? I'm thinking about what can I do to help them and it makes the community better and it all seems to work out. And they'll talk about you. To me, the fable of the stone soup really, it can last and go through so many different things because if I just come with my stone suit, then that's all it's going to be. But if you come and and add your flavor and add your carrots and Lisa comes with her whatever, (laughs) you know, then all of a sudden we have something that can feed the village. And bigger and better than ourselves. Yes. Yeah. So the military did great. The accident I was in was a tragedy to me because I really loved being in the the military and it stopped me. Um, What branch? I was in the Navy. Navy. And I was landlocked. There's always a shipmate somewhere, and they're a lot of fun to be with. I've always had a good time. I ended up marrying a Navy guy. He's my second That's husband. Cool. Yeah. My first husband and I got together. We were in the accident together. And oh, so when we got out, I think we just, we were dating already, and we figured, okay, this is what we have to do, is get married and, and do a life together. And it wasn't a good fit. So that ended pretty quickly. And then he passed right after we divorced. So it was kind of the, another tragedy there. And my family said, well, you're an adult now. See ya. You shouldn't come back here. So I found in Wilmington, North Carolina, that there was a movie studio. And that's where Matlock was being filmed. <laughs> and so I contacted the extra people who casted the extras. I don't know how I found them at that point. 
I don't remember, but I called him and said, hey, would I be able to come and do some extra work for you? And are there agents in Wilmington, North Carolina? They connected me with this lady named Michelle. She and I became friends. And I was like, okay, if I come up there, I have nowhere to live. She goes, I have a couch. I was like, okay, I can do it now. So I ended up sleeping on her couch for a long time and then uh, finding roommates, you know, one bedroom apartment with five actors. And in the meantime, the VA called me and said, you can go to school on what's called vocational rehabilitation. And we've tested you and you could go in and we'll offer you to study chemistry. It's like, really? I'm an actress. They're like, yeah, but if you would like this vocational rehabilitation, let's take that. Chemistry. It had to be the road they wanted you to take. They wanted to make sure it was going to be successful. Okay. Okay. Yep. So that's what I did. And if I could have fought it, I wouldn't have known how. I just went with it. I was like, okay, great. And Wilmington has UNCW, University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And that's where I went and got my chemistry degree. Oh, my gosh. And I was cleaning houses again and acting in commercials and singing in a band called Tambor in downtown and having. The time of my life, it was so much fun and not living as a queen or anything, but I had plenty. Did you ever play that game? If you got a genie in the bottle, what would you wish for? Yes. One of my wishes was to be able to reach in my pocket and always have just enough. Right. You always had 20 bucks to get dinner, whatever it was. And that seemed to be how my life ended up going. I've always had just enough. It sounds like it. And there's so many people. I even have um, a goddaughter that she is getting into comedy and has the roommates and all that. And I encourage her because this is the time. She's young. Let's see what goes with it. She's very talented. I think if anyone will make it, it will be her. But let's see. Let me know when she's showing because that would be fun to go watch her. Yeah, she's in Chicago. So it's kind of fun to hear you that you were in bands on a couch, then got roommates, like you were all over the place and it still was working out and you're still happy. And I remember even being in college and I worked all these jobs, very happy, but focused. But I remember they would have party, not, I'm going to say a birthday party for someone at work. And a friend and I were so poor that we would go and we'd split a meal and order waters so we could get by with minimal money, like three bucks. Yeah. Because we were poor, but we didn't care. We were like, we're going. We're going to make this work. And that's how it worked out. And you didn't think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm such a loser. No, you were like, I did it. Yeah. It's a different mindset. And when you're young, you can really, I think, wrap around some of that stuff. Um, Well, where did all your confidence come from? Because here's the pattern I'm seeing too, is you, you've always had like, I'm going to live at my friend's house at 16. So I'm not going to answer for you, but I wanted to know where all that confidence came from. I couldn't pinpoint it. It's just who I am. I feel like you have to be your own cheerleader and you have to look in the mirror and love who you are because things don't change. No, they don't. You know, you only can control what you can control. And sometimes a little luck and hard work and you can move mountains, right? Yeah. And you stuck to your talents. You knew what you like to do. I think singing in front of people is a big deal. A lot of people would never do that. I actually covered part of that in my book, that confidence is gained and earned. It's not given. No. So people that listen to this and they have kids and you wonder how can your kids get confidence? Well, you got to let them fail. 
Because if they learn to fail and pick themselves back up, and that's the other thing I see about you, I wouldn't call the word failure, but in my book, in my head, failure is a positive word. When my daughter went off to college, I said, I hope you feel a lot. She was, excuse me? And I said, if you feel a lot, it means you're trying things that you don't know much about. And it's okay. It's good to try things and fail. And that's how you learn about yourself. So I think of it as more positive, but you tried a lot of things and they came out okay, right? Sure. You know, probably because I was in theater at such a young age, you know, mom and dad were like, well, she likes this. Let's let her try it. And you don't get all the parts that you go for, but you get a part that you didn't know you were good at. Like when we went for Cinderella. Instead of getting Cinderella, I was the evil stepmother. Were you? Oh, can you say bad words on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Playing the bitch is great. Yeah. It's yeah. the best. And my daddy did tell me that. He goes, if you ever want to get a part you can sink your teeth into, be the bitch. So, you know, when I went out for Grease, for Rizzo. Yeah. I mean, I went out for Sandy. I didn't get Sandy. They get no. Rizzo. And I was like, well, I'm going to play this for all I can, you know. And I was pretty curvy and it worked out really well. It was fun. And that was at an all boys school. Yeah. That's one way to get confidence. Audition as a girl. So that was my friends is she's acted all her life and she's taught. She's a drama teacher. It's her daughter that's in Chicago, but she played the bitch in the last play that she was in and she was good. It was, it was cool. You know, Glenn Close has played some amazing parts. Anyway, I still <laughs> love Twitter and I go back and do different things every once in a while. But lately, because I'm so busy <laughs> with a puppy, no, with, with business, it's not. You are busy. busy. You are busy. I'm busy. Yeah. That's, and, 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 exciting, those, but I guess my point is I was spending time there because a lot of young people, maybe they're unfocused. They just don't know where they're going to land. And that's okay. It's all right. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many things in this world to do. I've been sitting with my son. He's 15. And on the way to school in the mornings, we'll talk about what he wants to do after high school because he's also um, a sophomore. So he's a 15-year-old sophomore. And he's like, well, I don't know what I want to want to do. I'm like, well, what don't you want to do? We have a long list of those things. That's good. That we've been collecting our, I don't want to do these things. Great. Now we know where not to focus. And you start to take away some of those, I can do anything. I guess you can if you want to, or you have, you know. I don't know. If I want to be a professional volleyball player, I'm five foot six. It's not likely. Not likely. Right. It could happen. Are you willing to work that hard? Do you have that much passion about it? And do I have that talent? No, I do not. I don't have the talent, honestly. So So there you go. So you have to say, what don't I want to do? And you knock a lot of it down. He wants to go into something in the sciences. We've been focusing on that since he was a little kid anyway, sending him to um, space camp in Alabama with NASA. And at first he wanted to be an astronaut. Now he's like, maybe I just want to build the robots that the astronauts use. Okay. Okay. Do you want to do that? We'll see. You're exploring with them and it's not scary. And he's learning what he likes and doesn't like. And I did the same with my daughter and she kept saying, no, 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 no. And she was a little down one day. And I, I think we went to a trade show for pilots and all these different trades. And she said, I didn't like any of that. I said, great. We don't have to go back there. We'll move on to the next thing. See what you like. You chip away that stone and you'll find your statue underneath. And I don't remember which artist said that, 
when they were talking about making a statue as you take all the pieces away that don't look like what's in your vision. And I'm like, okay. That's interesting. That's the opposite of, of what you think when someone is building right. something. You think they're bringing it out when actually they're finding it. Yes. So, yeah, life has been interesting and it should be, right? It so you've be. had a rough go, though. You've had, um, I'm not going to say rough go because you just went over them like hurdles. I guess that's my point is you could have said, I got in an accident and it didn't bring you down. You were having a time of your life afterwards in bands, cleaning houses. Then you went back to college, right? I do go down and have to figure out what's happening and if I want to feel down or if I want to feel happy. And I prefer to be happy. And sometimes, like, my family will make fun of me a little bit. I like mornings. Mornings are great. Morning is potential, right? And even the guys I live with now, my husband and my son are like, can you pull the chipper down a little bit? (laughs) Why not? Everybody has their own mindset. I prefer to to work through things and get to the other side and, and then go, wow, that could have been a disaster, but here we go. And luckily, I have a partner in life who lets me try things. He was my friend, and that's good. Whenever young humans ask me about my relationship or friends around me ask me about my relationship, first and foremost, he is my friend, and then he is my companion. And, you know, and he's the father of my child and the puppy. The puppy. The puppy's being very good. She's pretty darn okay. Um. So thank you for allowing her to be on here. No, it's nice. Since this podcast shares stories to support your financial health, I thought your physical health may be important to you too. If there was one thing you could start doing right now that would change your overall health for the better, would you do it? If you could lower or eliminate some medications, would it be worth it to you to try something new? With so much information overload, it's overwhelming to know the right way to take care of your health and prevent future problems. Eating better and exercising consistently can be tough, but it doesn't have to be when you've got the right person in your corner. Rachel McClellan of Personal Health Management can help you. With over 10 years experience as a registered dietitian and a certified personal trainer, Rachel brings it. She works with all ages, fitness levels, health statuses and abilities, and even works with your medical team. You will get all of the encouragement and support you need, so email Rachel at phm change your life at gmail.com. Go ahead, make that appointment with Rachel, phm, change your life at gmail.com. So you probably want me to get to the point where I failed horribly and then picked myself up from that. Only if you want to share, I think it's inspiring for people to see that we all fail. Sure. Like I said, I think failure is not a negative word at all. It's what you do with it, right? I was working on my PhD in chemistry. I had gone all that way. Wow. And um, yeah, my husband got a job in California with Ford and we moved to California and I started going to another school and continuing my education, working on the PhD there. And then they moved him to Detroit and I had to quit that school. And I said, I'm done. I'm going to open a coffee shop. That's it. I, I love coffee, I, and I started studying coffee like nobody's business and writing a business plan. So by the time we moved to Detroit, where I am now, I was ready, ready to go. I had built this business plan. It was huge. Went to a bank, and they were like, yes, take the money. Go build this. And I did, and, and I 
spent too much money building out my space, built it in a place that was up and coming and was in the black within three years. But the landlord was starting to lose his building and he started sabotaging the building. And it was way out of my control. All the other tenants moved out of the building. He um, took a sledgehammer to a toilet on the fourth floor, taking out all the ceilings from the fourth floor all the way down. Not my spot. My spot was on the other side of the building, but everything else. And then destroying part of the facade on the outside of the building. So we had to get scaffolding up. He made it impossible for people to walk in the door to shop with me. So wow. legal battle. Did he want you out? He wanted you no, out? No, he wanted insurance on his building is what I think. That's the only thing I can come up with is he wanted to get insurance on the building and he wanted somebody to buy it from him because at the time the, the land and the buildings in Detroit were starting to sell for a lot. It was right before the Super Bowl. We ended up destroying a building is the opposite. What I'd think he'd just put it up for sale, but whatever. That's we offered him more than market value. Somebody else offered him twice what we offered, and he still said no. It wasn't enough. It wasn't a very big building, so we lost the business. Oh, and you know what happens when you lose a business and you personally guarantee it, even with the SBA and with the different, they go after your house. Well, Ford at the time, had offered us a job in Germany. So we were already moving, and the house was plummeting in value. I mean, this is when the bubble was busting at here. And everything, every day, it was like going down $10,000, going down, going down. And we had a deal. Well, we get to Germany, and the bank decides they're going to foreclose on us. Even though we were selling the house, we had like three days to pay them what I thought was an insurmountable amount of money. And I remember walking home from dinner with my husband, bawling. I mean, just, I'm melting right now. Um, just losing it hard. And a hedgehog walked by, baby little hedgehog. And it made me stop crying and falling into myself into a depression that I didn't know if I could come out of because I didn't know how to fix it. Right. And to a point where I had nothing. Oh, wow. I didn't know what to do. Because you lost your business and your house. Yeah. And you were pivoting from moving so much that you never got to even finish up it. You know what I mean? And I had lost like three pregnancies. It was just, it had gotten so bad. I could see the darkness. And this little hedgehog. You know, pick something off off the sidewalk and scurried away. And I don't know why that just made me smile, but it did. And huh. and I said to my husband, I'm like, we've got to be able to figure this out. There has to be a way around this. We did figure it out. The next day, we borrowed money from a family member at a pretty high interest rate. But we were able to pay off the bank, get the house sold. We still lost like 50 grand, but we had to borrow on that. And luckily, this family member said, you can borrow it from me, but you have to pay it back to a point where it's going to be profit for me. And I thought, I'll do anything. We did that. It took us five years to pay it back. I couldn't work in Germany either. I couldn't get a work permit. He did. 
But there were lots of chemists in Germany, and if a native can do it, they're going to give it to a native instead of a foreigner. Oh. Totally cool. Then I got pregnant, and the pregnancy was viable. That was your fourth round, too. Yeah. And they basically told me the Germans said, because I was 37, and they said, you've got to relax. So I picked up a paintbrush, and I started painting, and I sold some of those paintings. And we continued paying this person off that we were paying off. I mean, we couldn't afford underwear. It was bad. It was bad. And we were in a lucky spot, thank you, in working overseas because you just, you get free housing and you get a free car and you get, you know, if you really look back, that was a huge blessing and a way to bounce back. And I don't have anything uh, but good words to say about the relative that loaned you the money. They obviously needed the money themselves. They needed you to pay them back. They ha- You had to make it a little bit worth their while. I don't say anything wrong with that. That was very generous of them because it yeah. sounds like they did it while they were on the edge too, but they knew you needed it and they did that. And the trust. Mm-hmm. The absolute trust. That's amazing. So we, we ended up moving back, had a healthy kid, had healthy animals which I obviously enjoy having animals in my life, and landed back in North Carolina. I worked in the movie industry again for a minute, enjoyed it. That sounds like fun. I mean, you said you did commercials, you were singing. Yeah. It's a hard business to make it. Could you have made it in the business as an actress, do you think? Oh, I will still. (laughs) I was actually thinking that. Oh, yeah. I'm going to make a great old lady actress. It's going to be so much fun. That's why I have to keep putting lotion on my eyes. <laughs> um, and no, no plastic surgery. Because you have to have all of your emotions to be read. Yeah. Right? Yes, okay, you do. so. I just wondered, that's a tough business too, so. It is. It's a fun business. But I woke up in the middle of the night one night. I had watched a friend of mine win the hatch contest in Detroit on the internet. His name's Joe Posh, and he opened a shoe. He was the very first hatch winner. And I told my husband as he was doing this, I woke him up, it was like two in the morning. So we're moving back to Detroit, and we're going to open up a bra shop called Busted because nobody can buy a bra in the city. And he's like, okay, crazy, go back and sleep. I'm like, yes, we can do this. And we've paid everybody back. We're able to afford underwear again. Let's go sell some stuff to women who need it. And... He went to the HR department at the job he had, because it wasn't with Ford anymore. And he said, just by chance, is there a job I could do in the city of Detroit? And they're like, actually, it just came across the board. There's a job for you in Detroit. Would you like to apply for it? And he said, sure. And they said, and we can move you up there as soon as August. And it was like just a couple of months away. And he said, okay. Why Detroit? Why did you decide Detroit? I love it here. And there's opportunity here, and I have a base of human beings that I know from the coffee shop, and a lot of them have gone on to be entrepreneurs, so I knew there were people I could talk to, and if I came up and didn't do it, I had this kid that I was going to show a great way of life and a diverse population yeah. um, and a great artistic space. I mean, the, the art here is amazing. Yes. So... We came back and I joined the Hatch Contest after a year, almost two years being here. 
and um, didn't win. Didn't even make it into the top four, but I made it in the top 10. And a lot of people kept coming out to me going, please do this. Please do this. I need help. Please do this. And I was like, I don't have any money. How am I going to do this this time? Because I can't get money again. I can't borrow a, a giant thing of money. Um, You've been there, done that too. Yeah. So a friend called me and she's a real estate person. And she said, listen, I love your idea. We need this so badly in the city of Detroit. And if you're not familiar with the city of Detroit, there's no mall here. Don't tell people to go to that doesn't exist in here, especially in 2013 when we opened. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she said, I have $5,000. I was like, okay. She goes, I know you could lose it. It's okay. I believe in this. And then my mother called me. She said the same thing. I was like, what? Yep. I have $5,000. I know you could lose it, but I'm willing to take that chance on you because I believe in you. I'm like, okay, that's insane. And then my husband said, we have to lose it and we're done. And I was like, okay. And we, I went to That's a, a good message bank. though. That's a good message. How far do you take something? Because people it, ask that done. all the time. Yeah. So I got a 200 square foot office in the middle of the belly of a building no windows, got all the legal stuff I had to do because you have to have a good lawyer. No matter what you spend your money on, you have to have a good lawyer to set you up. I agree. You don't screw up because if you screw up, you're done. And I don't understand all the laws and she does. So and you always pay your smart people that are smarter than yourself when you're running a business. That's my first rule of thumb myself. When you start a business, the people that help me, the CPA, HR, whatever, lawyer, you want everybody smarter than you, right? Absolutely. And they have to be accountable for some things too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we bought like $3,000 worth of product because I was being very, very conservative. I'm still working with the same two vendors that worked for me in the beginning. Oh, nice. Um, But I took that 200 square feet and the boxes that the product came in and turned the boxes upside down and I put pleather on the boxes to make it look like a counter. If you use black pleather, you can make anything look good. Wow. I took cardboard or like a card table, like your grandmother's card table, bend out legs. Wait, I still own one of those. I do too. It's downstairs. (laughs) And I put a beautiful linen on top of it and I made an office for private bra fitting and started selling bras. And when I would sell one, I would buy two more and I would kept it going. And then the landlord said, there's a lot of women coming in here and coming out with paper bags. Would you like a real store? We'll just move you next door to this um, storage unit that we've got. We'll turn it into a store for you. And I was like, oh. dude, I, I'm not paying for the build out. He goes, it's okay. I need to build it out anyway. And I believe in this business. I oh, can't someone who said, I believe in you. And I was like, okay. Awesome. So we signed the lease and I got in there a couple months later and I could only fill up like a fourth of it. And the rest, I made a play area for kids so women could come in with their children and I could shop with them. Smart, smart, smart. And we built and we built and we built and it took us a long time. And at about year four, it was looking really good. And I opened up a store in Chicago because my best friend moved down there and I wanted to be with her, which turned out great. She ended up being very ill and I was able to go down and help her with her last year and with her daughters and one of her daughters works for me now. Then the landlord that I worked with who believed in us so much, he sold his 
building. He sold his part of the building. The new landlord came in and made some demands that were unreasonable because he had a different tenant. If he right. just honest, it would have been easier. And I ended up moving to two other locations with windows and with signs. Nice. And with people. And so now we had three stores. And that's four years in. So you had a following. So that was really at five. So I had a good following because that took about a year there. And then the pandemic hit not too long after that. And Mm -hmm. another landlord said, please move into my space. Here's a good opportunity for you. And another person said, can you sublease out the space above my bridal salon in Ann Arbor for very little money just to help me with my rent? And we built a customer base and we built a customer base and we built a customer base. And now, fast forward, I have six stores. I'm still tight. Money's still tight. Every month is like, whoa, we got through that one. Let's keep moving. But we're building. Were they all paying for themselves at least? Um, Some of them pay for the others. Okay. Right I now, I mean, we flip-flop it every once in a while and we bought But you were managing in your personal life that at least it wasn't taking away from, you get what I'm saying. I do. You were making enough to make ends meet that you could not dip into your own personal anymore, right? If I didn't have a partner that was making the living for me, I would have stuck to three stores and we would have been just fine. Mm -hmm. I was able to take a chance because there are pieces of my dinner plate I don't have to pay for. Right. So it was the way that we worked it out. And he's my partner, my business partner, but he also makes a living elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So. It was that building. If we had just stayed where we were, we would have been just fine. But I've been able to take a couple more chances and I feel blessed by it. And I feel like I can still reach in my pocket and pull out just what I need to get the minimum of what I need. And it's just like this puppy. I wasn't supposed to have this puppy. This puppy wasn't supposed to be part of my life. But there was an opportunity to get someone and to provide a home for this fella, this little girl. My other puppy had passed. She was 16. So I had a space. And one of my friends said, this is the dog for you. You know how to work with this animal. And it was, again, one of those, I've got this space in my home. I can do this. And it's going to be a blessing, even though it's work. It's still a blessing. You don't shy away from that, though. Your friend that was ill in Chicago, you didn't shy away. You went right out there and you kept her company and you did what you had to do. I mean, that's hard to do for a lot of people and they shy away from that and you didn't. The other thing is interesting is you're opening all these stores and you know that you have a following and that's hard to do too. People don't realize opening a store is a big, big venture. You have to find employees that you trust. It's just a lot of work. It's a lot of work. The leadership part is interesting. We're still navigating many things. One of the stores is a pop-up. So is it going to stay? I don't know. I'm negotiating. Negotiations are actually kind of fun. And using the theater skills with negotiations works out really well. And taking negotiating classes. I went through the Goldman Sachs program, and that was my favorite. Learning those different authors. I like that, too, by the way. I We have a lot in common. I like the negotiations part. Because if you don't take yourself too seriously, that gives you actually a lot of power. There's a lot of power to not being afraid to lose. Because I've been there. Right. Been to that dark 
crazy place of, I don't think I can do this tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You get there. But then yeah, yeah. whatever your hedgehog is, it'll be okay. My hedgehog was just like, look, I got this little thing and I'm excited and wow. There's two sides to that. People have a fear of failure, but then you get successful and people have that fear of success because that's scary too. You know, and I do have a, a, she's my friend, she's my business partner, and she is my life coach. And she probably doesn't want, she's actually just calling. I'm going to deny the call. <laughs> she is amazing. She knows me. She can be blunt with me. And we all need that. We all need someone who can see through the crap and also see through the desperation when you, you're grasping at straws to figure out if you really belong. You can be a coach for someone and you can use someone or utilize a coach as well. We all need that. You know, some people say, it's my BFF. Okay, great. In business, it's a coach. Right. It is, and, and people don't realize uh, people starting out businesses. I actually have a chapter on starting out businesses, and I tell people right away, I've had three coaches over the years, but you can find other business owners that you all agree to meet together and talk together and help each other, and there's a lot of wisdom in doing that, I think. And the honesty, there's loneliness as a CEO. Yes. <laughs> because the employee boss relationship is special and it can be beautiful. It can also be very stressful. Lifting up and helping your your employees find positions sometimes outside of your company that you know will be a, a stepping stone for them and even better, that can be rewarding and also sad because now you've got to fill that amazing position again. Sometimes people just don't like you because you are a boss. And you, you get to a point where you realize other people's opinion of you is none of your business because all it's going to do is hurt you. And thinking that there's a underlying meaning and stuff will just hurt you. So that's one of the things that I, I do keep up with uh, with myself is you have to watch that part of your mental health as a boss. People will never understand it, that business is not this box out there. It's a person who has started it with feelings and who can lose their house and who can, who has children, who have parents that get sick, that we're not superhuman. We have to be sometimes, but we aren't. And it's then, misunderstood. I just want to add to that. I think that people misunderstand business owners and starting businesses and they have this idea about it. I actually um, belong to a book club and these women read the book of the, I forget his name, I'm sorry offhand, but he started Nike. Okay. And the whole book is his story. And it was amazing because every single woman in that book club that did not own a business said, wow, I never realized how hard it was to start a business. I'm thinking to myself, welcome to my life. But I didn't say that. They just had no clue of what's on the line and how much debt people go into. And it's like their baby, right? And we're just trying to start a business. We're just trying to have a team that cares. And no one's going to care about your business as much as you do. But it's not a us and them. It's And you learn that in the military. It's the teamwork. I would not have the business I have today, I will truly say, if I didn't have the staff. They run the place. I don't. But you give them the tools and the rules, and they can play within that box. Right. And you have to right. give people the opportunity to do that. And if they don't do it well, you have to retrain them. 
And if they still don't do it well, you have to retrain them. And if they still don't do it well, yeah, yeah. maybe it's not a fit. And that's okay too. Yeah. So the other thing that in retail that I have discovered is every day starts with zero. Every day my sales start at zero. And then end of the night, I can be over the moon, right? With with what's gonna happen and what I can pay off the next day and everything. But the next day starts at zero again. It can be an overwhelming anxiety and overwhelming, uh, it almost seems insurmountable. How does that first customer come in? I need to prepare for next week's first customer to come in. And you start preparing. And when people invite you on podcasts so you can tell your story, you say yes, because somebody might hear and go, can that person help me? Can that business help me? And we can, and that's part of our thing. So we're always looking for that next opportunity to say hello to someone and is this you a place never know who's going to collaborate, right? Yeah. How many busted bra shops do you have now? Six. And, Six. A, and website. So technically, I call that seven. I and do too, because a website's more. another. You're mostly in the Detroit area, but you have Chicago. Yes, two in Chicago. One of them is huge. I had taken over the space from another bra shop owner who needed to retire. Um, oh, that yeah. was smart. It's expensive, but it's in a great location. She's been there for 15 years. And so people are used to it doing that function. And she has a following. She has a following. So you have the customer base. In my industry, a lot of people I've noticed are selling their businesses to younger folks. And back in the day, that wasn't an option for me. But there are options now and people, they don't have to start a business from scratch. They could buy a franchise or look to somebody that might be retiring the next five years and learn that way. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of opportunity out there to learn from people. You can also go to work for someone who is probably getting older in their business and you can learn from them to open up your own similar or potentially buy the one that's existing. You know, a lot of times our kids don't want our businesses. I don't know if my son's going to want my business. Probably not. But I have met sons who have taken over in the bra industry and they've done well working the numbers in the back office and giving the women their privacy. I've never assumed, you know, my daughter worked in the real estate business. She was in real estate investments for, I think, seven, eight years. And one day she had it. She's like, I'm just thinking of the ups and downs. And I said, why don't you come work for me for, you know, I need, it's because I do not want to be a financial planner. And I said, well, I need someone in operations. I need someone to run the company and I need help with marketing. Well, that was what she loved to do. And she was there for a month. And I said, I want you to go on 10 interviews because I don't want this to be your second choice. Either you love this or you don't, but I will find someone that loves my business this is what was important to me. That was my agenda. And she came back with three job offers and said, if you can match this one, I want to work here. And so it worked out. But it was okay if it didn't work out. Like I did not want to do that to her. And this turns into a different topic, but it's worth mentioning is I can't tell you how many families I work with and the kids are miserable. And they're working at their parents' business because they feel obligated and they feel that's what they should do for their parents and that they owe it to their parents, but they're miserable. And the parents 
I don't care. And it's maybe the kids aren't telling them. I don't know the full stories, but it's very obvious to me that that's not what they should be doing. Yeah. And at least you've been following your heart the whole way. And my gut. Every once in a while, you've got to listen to that thing in your gut that says, just keep going if, you know, this is going to work out. And um, sometimes it does feel like I'm on a roller coaster that I can't get off of, but it can be so exciting on the next curve. You know, I think you are comfortable with the uncertainty. You're okay with that. I'm okay. There's an adrenaline rush there. I will say, I think sometimes I'm like an extreme junkie that's too careful to jump off of cliffs. Yeah, I'm, I'm not one. That's that's, fair. I'm not a cliff jumper. I don't do like really high speed skiing. I'm not into it to break a bone, but this is my adrenaline rush is, yeah. is that going to work out? That could probably work out. What if I do this marketing? That could work out. That could be a lot of fun. That could be insane. Sometimes it's you get through it and go, won't do that again, you know, but you know that you checked it off and, and you can feel good about completing something that you said you were going to do. And I think that's another thing about confidence is that when you realize that you completed something that wasn't quite so much fun, like, I don't know, boot camp, boot camp sucks, <laughs> but I got through it. I got in trouble in boot too. And I got to say, after three weeks, I was so lucky, but I got through it. And you go through these insane challenges and then you realize nothing's as bad as the gas chamber. You go through an actual gas chamber in boot camp that stimulates all your mucous membranes and it's painful and you're crying and snot's coming out of spots that you don't know about. And you had no idea that the fluid would come out of these places in your body, but you get through it and 10 minutes later, it doesn't hurt so bad. And you're with your shipmate who's also throwing up in a grate because it just burns oh. like, and you're done and you go, okay. I'm not going to do that one by choice again, but if I ever end up in there again, I know it'll be over in 10 minutes. Yeah. It'll be over in 10 minutes. During my pregnancies, this will be over in X amount of hours. (laughs) Once I got pregnant, I was like, oh, God, it has to come out somehow. Yeah. Yeah. You forget about that. But then you get through it. And at some point, a lot of people go, let's do that again. So here's the other thing I think interesting today. Besides your brain's all over the place, which is very fascinating to me. A lot of people will say, I've always wanted to be a doctor. I've always wanted to be a plumber. My dad was a plumber. I loved it. I've always wanted to be a mechanic. They have in mind what they've always wanted to be. And I tell people, it's not that I don't have confidence, but I never thought I would be where I am today. And it's not a lack of confidence. I'm just telling you, I had no idea. So I guess that's kind of what I'm asking you is you really had no idea where this was going to lead yet. You went down the path. I went down the path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been going pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy with how we've been working it and I see it, how to improve it every day. Could I be a franchise? Maybe I might be able to be one. So I'm trying to prepare for that just in case. Right. And if nothing else, my procedures get better. Could I open up 10 more on my own? Maybe. Could I bring on partners? People have been asking, so I should prepare for that. Sometimes I prepare for stuff that's not going to happen because it makes you realize that's not going to happen. So if an opportunity is in front of you, prepare for it. And in that preparation, it will really make it either happen or not. 
that say with business owners, I've always prepared my business to sell it. I've prepared my business so it's not dependent on me. It can't be dependent on you. I couldn't have sat here in my kitchen with a puppy in my lap talking to you for the last hour if it was dependent on me. Other people that I've trained who feel a sense of ownership are doing it. That's right. And that's important too, that they need to feel immersed and appreciated, you know, and every once in a while, you're like, how do you get appreciated? There was a really funny cartoon on my mother's refrigerator and it was Superman. And he was in a, an office talking to a, a psychiatrist or a counselor of some sort. And he had his head in his hands and his cape was across his back. And he said, when is someone going to save me? And what I took from that was you never know the person you think who could accomplish anything needs a word of encouragement, might need just a cup of coffee, just might need a hi, how you doing? You're doing amazing. You never know your words of encouragement, your advice, or just your business might make that little bit of difference that you saved them that the person that you thought was Superman or superwoman or superhuman could do anything. Sometimes they need a little bit of encouragement too. So I, I always try to send, and some of my friends will tell you, and people I don't barely know, you know, that, that I've just met every once in a while, they'll get a message from me. I hope you have an amazing day. I saw you on this TV show the other day. You were amazing. You're fabulous. I learned so much from you. Um, you made a big difference in my life when I was 16. You said this to me, you know, I think about somebody different every day to send that little bit of encouragement from one stupid cartoon on my mom's refrigerator. No, but you know, that's a good message because people assume you got it all together. And we're all just people. We're all just trying to make whatever we're doing work. That's a totally good message. That's a good ending message for this, action. That's perfect. Thanks for listening to Uncommon Sense. I'm Jill Gleba. For more stories and all the financial knowledge you wish somebody had taught you, you can find my book, Uncommon Sense, at jillgleba.com. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.